Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to all of you in this room. Welcome to everybody joining us online as well. Maybe we've got some joining us trackside from the Speedway. You think so? Probably not. But if there's an occasional one, we're glad you're dialed in from the Speedway down there and glad you're here to celebrate this holiday weekend with us. We've been in this series on the life of David. We started it in the early part of May. And we've been looking at various aspects of David's life. Last week, we looked at this reality that David discovered uh, something we all have to discover at some point in our life, that not everyone likes you just as you are. Isn't that an interesting thing? That was like playing Pastor Obvious last week for everyone. Not everyone really likes you just as you are. That's an important principle we'll have to learn in life and have to navigate because David's doing the right thing, the God thing, the honorable thing, and Saul's wanting to kill him. And he's relentless about it. And so David was on the run through all of that, and we were talking about last week. And one of the things I shared last week was that through the years, I'd received a number of anonymous comment cards slid under my office door and talked about that. And they generally are under the pattern of the things that people want to talk about anonymously regarding my life or my leadership or the church or something they just don't like about me or something. And that's kind of been a pattern, and it's just part of all of you, I'm sure, have the same kind of thing happen in your lives and in your worlds as well. But I also said it's an interesting, in 26 years involved in local church life, I've never received an anonymous compliment. Isn't that interesting? I thought, well, that's just kind of a commentary on my own life and human condition and all that. Well, then, last Sunday afternoon, uh, this shows up on our front porch. This shows up on our front porch. Uh, how we doing up there? I get hands moving and there it is. There we are. So look at this. It says, there's a, so this is a Ziploc bag. It says, you're the best from Anonymous. Shred this. Now, why the shred this? Well, I said to, uh, I was telling the staff, I said, I'm super encouraged that haven't received any anonymous comment cards lately. Like for six months or so, I'm like, wow, I haven't received any. And then they were all like, you know, looking at each other and kind of sheepishly grinning. And they said, well, we've just been shredding all of them. <laughs> and then so this arrives. So thank you, Mr. and Mr. Anonymous. That I guarantee you the staff is not shredding that. So inside those little white boxes are some of my favorite items, homemade caramels. The family knows just what I love, and they're so good at it, and so I felt so encouraged and blessed. So anybody can drop off anonymous compliments at my house whenever you want, but oh, it was so great. It, was, it made my Sunday afternoon for sure. Open up your Bibles, 1 Samuel 21. Here's where we are today in David's journey. We're at this stage where David is on the run. Here's what we're going to look at today. David is going to go to five different cities. We won't cover all five, so relax. We're only going to hit three of the cities. And we're going to look at when David is running and what he runs to, very ordinary places and ordinary settings, where God meets him there and turns an ordinary place into a sanctuary where eternity touches time. And so here's geographically where we are in the story. I've got some maps for you today. I think I put one map in your notes. If you haven't opened up uh, your bulletins yet or downloaded off of the app there electronically. So geographically, we're in what's called the wilderness of Judah. So on the map, the wilderness of Judah is, is basically Dead Sea territory and then just there to the west. Are, can we see that up there? Or are, we, are we struggling with the, the visuals? Is that what... 
I'm just looking to the tech booth. They're great people. Can we give a round of applause for all of our tech crew? They're awesome. They work hard. They do a great job. So here's where we are. So Wilderness of Judah, Dead Sea, and there to the left, all right? So he's kind of, we're going to hit three different cities there. And in 2017, I want to give you a visual of the, of the terrain. So here's where I stood in 2017. Here's a picture of me with, the, with the, the Dead Sea Scroll cave behind me. So that's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Isn't that amazing, that little cave back there? That's the wilderness of Judah. That's where David is running from Saul. So that gives you a physical picture of the terrain that he's running in and hiding in. Those kind of caves. So that's me looking away from the Dead Sea. Now next picture is me with the Dead Sea behind me. So I'm standing there, Dead Sea's back there behind me, and that's, you notice the plateau area, and then it goes up into that kind of cave-like, uh, much more hills and plateaus and such. That's the physical geographic area where David is running for his life from Saul, okay? And here's the setting now, verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, David went to Nob, N-O-B, to Elimelech the priest. Elimelech trembled when he met him. Tells you something about David's reputation. Now, you would be trembling a bit around David if you were around the valley of Elah a couple weeks ago, and this guy took a smooth stone and a sling, and then he took Goliath's sword and decapitated Goliath. That would be reason that when David rolls around, you might want to have a respect around what's going on with this David guy. And he's also the king that's been anointed to take over for Saul. Saul's still on the throne. King number two is anointed to take the throne. That generally doesn't bode well for king number two when king number one is still on the throne. That's kind of the life of David at the moment. But his reputation is growing. And Elimelech says, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Meaning, remember the new hit song on the radio? What's the new hit song on the radio? Saul has slain thousands, David tens of thousands. That's the new hit song on the radio. Saul doesn't like it. Everybody's listening to the song, and Elimelech's, why are you alone? I mean, you've got tens of thousands that everybody's cheering for in all of that. And now Nob, geographically, is, is like the sanctuary area. Now, the, the Ark of the Covenant would be in Nob if the Philistines didn't capture it. But it'd be the space where Elimelech the priest would be overseeing a sanctuary, a known kind of refuge for religious activity is this area. Verse 2, David answers Elimelech the priest. He's priest of the temple there in Nob. The king charged me, speaking about Saul, with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Now, question, did Saul say any of that stuff to David? The answer is no. So here's David running to a sanctuary of God, meeting a priest of God, and he opens up by telling two lies. So we'll circle back to this in a minute. So, so David, he, he's lying to get what he wants. He wants food and he wants some protection. He wants provision and protection. And so he's lying to a priest of God in a sanctuary of God. Verse 4, the priest, Elimelech, answers David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread here. Now, consecrated bread are 12 loaves that the priest would break 
would bake every week and lay out on this holy area called the altar, and it was a table set in front of the Holy of Holies. And they would display one loaf of bread for each tribe, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 loaves of bread. And as you know, freshly baked bread over the course of a week becomes not so fresh. So at the end of the seven days, the routine was the priest gets the 12 loaves of bread for food, consecrated bread, bakes 12 new loaves for the next week, every Sabbath day. This was the routine. David knew this. Everyone knew this who was associated with the religious system. And so he's, the priest is like, well, I don't have really any bread. I got the consecrated bread. And David's like, good enough for me. So he's taking notice. So he lies twice, going to take the consecrated bread. So you see he's going down all kinds of a pattern here. So he receives food through the consecrated bread. And now he wants protection. So he's got provision. Now he wants protection. Watch this, verse 8. David says to Elimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Lie number three. So the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. So it's like a museum setting here. It's like this thing that's so revered because this is the sword that David pulled out of Goliath's side and decapitated him. Maybe he still have the bloodstains on it for all we know. And it's like, hey, yeah, that sword, you know it really well. It's here. It says, if you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Now, how ironic is this? The view of Goliath's sword, how different is it than what we saw of David in 1 Samuel 17 when he's in the Valley of Elah? Did he think, oh, there's no sword like Goliath's sword then? He's got a smooth stone and a sling, and he takes Goliath out, and then he grabs that sword and decapitates it. He's not too intimidated by that sword in the Valley of Elah, but now here we are a few chapters later, a little bit of time has passed, and there's some things kind of they're out of sorts in David's life, just like a very human Everything's not perfect about his life. We'll get into that a little bit more later here, but just kind of see David's a real life. He's got real issues. He's a not-so-put-together life, always working through something kind of life. Here's David doing an amazing thing on one hand, and then he's kind of a mixed bag. He's lying to the priest. He's lying in a sanctuary. He's manipulated, get consecrated bread, and he's looking at the sword that he used to see as not so big of a deal. He now sees as this super-revered figure. And this is what happens when you get in a pattern of lying. Do you see that when you work the muscles of lying, all of a sudden you can't distinguish between what's true and what's a lie. They all start blending together. And so he used to view things very clearly in Valley of Elah. There was only one giant in the Valley of Elah in David's eyes, and that giant was God. And God was so big at right-sized Goliath. And now a few chapters later, that sword of Goliath is looking really big. Do you see some things? It's just all getting blurry to him. And that's what happens when we get off the rails and we get going down the wrong road and we start indulging the sinful nature and we head down a path God doesn't want us to go down. Some things get very distorted. You can't distinguish light from darkness, truth from error. And this is the case with David. He's like, it's all kind of a mixed bag here. And so this is what we see happening at Nob. So at Nob, his first stop in running from Saul here in the wilderness of Judah, he uncharacteristically lies three times. And in this lying, God still provides him with provision the consecrated bread, and protection, Goliath's sword. That's what he gets at Nob. Provision, protection. And from here, now he trots off to Gath. So here's on the map. See, from Nob to Gath, where is he going? So you see, there's where he's at physically, and he's heading over to Gath. What do we know about Gath? 
Who was from Gath? Goliath. That's, the, that's like the hometown of Goliath, and it's the, it's the capital of the Philistines. So it's the Philistine, it's where the king of the Philistines lives. Now, Gath, you'd think, why would David go there? Probably at some level, he was trying to stay on the DL. He was like trying to stay. He didn't, I don't think David realized the degree of his, of, you know, just what happened in the Valley of Elah. He just kind of lived a little oblivious to it, I think, for a while. And so he probably thought, I can just roll into Gath. And Eastern hospitality was such, even if you weren't seen as a citizen of Gath, they would take care of you just under Eastern hospitality, even if you were perceived as an enemy. He'd just stay on the DL, get a little food, a little more provision, a little more protection. That's what he's thinking when he's going to Gath. And then he gets to Gath and he finds out, well, Goliath's hometown, there's a lot of commentary about what happened to Goliath. It happens to be tied to him. People start pointing out, that's the guy. That's the guy. And so there's this mounting, like all of a sudden he gets into Gath and he's like, oh my gosh, this is not unfolding like I thought it was going to unfold. And so guess what he does again? He lies again. And this time he goes from lying with his words to lying with his actions. And this is what happens when we go down the sinful nature route. Sin can start working its way into our habits. Have you discovered this? Like when sin works its way into your habits, here's what happens. You start reacting out of a place of the sinful nature when it works its way into a habit. This is why in the spiritual life, spiritual practices are so important. You have to kind of unlearn the, the sinful habits, the sin that's worked its way into our habits. Genesis 3 is where it's so easy for sin to work its way into our habits. We inherit it. You're really good at it. Like, I'm so skilled at sin, it's unbelievable. I have a PhD in skillfulness with sinning. How? Because it's just inherited. It's in my habits. How do I got to work against it? Well, I've got to form practices, spiritual practices, Christ-like practices to work some things out of my sinful habits and produce more godly habits. And those of you who work with physical bodies, you know this all the time, right? You trainers, you doctors, your PTs and all this, you work the body in that way to train the muscle memory. Same thing with the soul. And here's David. He's going down the path of lying. He's lying at Nob. He's lying at Gath. It goes from words to actions. He's so caught up in the pattern of lying, it's just worked its way into his habits. He's in a setting now. He needs to get out. He's going to lie just boom. See what happens right there? So if you're struggling particularly within the truth-telling arena, here's a good spiritual practice I would say to David he could implement here. And for you, if you're struggling with that now, this is where the role of silence and secrecy is important. Work the muscle of silence if you're struggling with truth-telling. That's how you push back against if it's worked its way into the habits. And so when you work silence, you work the muscle of just keeping your mouth closed and centering yourself before God to help you come to grips with what's really going on. It starts separating truth from error and light from darkness. And for David, he's all caught up. Now he's in Gath, and now he's going to pretend to be insane. Watch what happens here. This is the David that we saw in the valley. Same guy. Look at verse 13. 1 Samuel 21. So he pretended to be insane in the presence of all the people of Gath there. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Are you kidding me? you got to love the Bible. This is crazy, the stories in here. This has got to be God's book. Who else would put details like this? And you got a, like a babbling, slobbering, soon-to-be king 
who was just the star of the show in the Valley of Elah. Now he's acting like he's a madman. He's insane. Why? He's manipulating things. He's lying. He's scheming. He's running. He's hiding. He's trying to survive. And in his surviving, sin has worked its way into his habits. And he's just in this pattern of lying, not just with his words, but with his actions. And God in his grace, praise God, he still works with us in all of that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Even when we're all caught up in the wrong things, God still works with us. And he's still working with David. Watch what happens here. Akish is the king of Gath, said to his servants, look at that man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? So God steps in and says, all right, David, you're way out of bounds here, but I'm just going to protect you anyway. Gives him more protection. He kind of rescues him out of Gath. He's probably thinking, David, that was a really stupid decision, going to Gath. Like, seriously, Goliath's hometown? You think it's going to be safe for you there? He goes there and and God just kind of says, I got to get you out of there. So he convinces um, the, the leader of the Gath people, or leader of the Philistines, to let him go. And so he's free again. So he goes from Nob, where he sees provision, consecrated bread, protection. He goes to Gath, where he lies again, fourth lie. And now he's, God still steps in and gives him what he doesn't deserve. And that's grace. We all get that, right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We're here because of grace. And we're here because we get what, God, what we don't deserve to get. And that's David. He's getting what he, he gets more protection. God's stepping in, defending him, getting him out of the area of the Philistines and moving him on now to our third area of the day, Adullam. It's the cave of Adullam in verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So on your map, look at it this way. So you see where the cave is? So from Gath to Adullam. I'll point it right there. Boom, boom. There we go. I wanted to be a weatherman back in the day. This is what I wanted to do. Like, oh, right here. Wait, wait, wait. I get it right. Gath to a doula. Oh, I would have been terrible. There we go. <laughs> I'm fulfilling my meteorological dreams right here on stage. So, did you know that? That's a, my first dream growing up was I wanted to be a meteorologist. I'd watch the Weather Channel when I was a kid. Like, I'd get up early on Saturday morning and say, oh, I can't wait to turn on the Weather Channel and look at that storm front going through East Asia. And my brother would get up and he'd be like, what is wrong with my brother? He's so weird. Yes, I was. And I wanted to be a meteorologist and then an aerospace engineer and then management information systems. And now I'm a pastor. See how that all works out? So all you college students all ushering off into this net, just relax. God will write out the journey where he wants to write it. So David leaves Gath, goes to Adullam. Now he's all alone. He's in a cave. He's on the run. He's caught up in all kinds. He's just in a pattern of lying. He's all, but what have we said about David we're going to see in this story is even when he's off base, there's this compass inside of him Godward. Like he just keeps going back to God which is probably why he's preserved so much of David in this book for us to read. Now, I want you to see, he's in Adullam, he's on the run, he's all alone, and in the cave, what does he do? Psalm 142 is your insight. Psalm 142, 1 to 6, David prays, and that prayer is recorded. If you have an NIV Bible, here's the subtitle of Psalm 142. It says, David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. You see that? So he's in the cave of Adullam, and he cries out. Here's what he says. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the, the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. It is you in the path where I walk. Men have hidden a snare for me. 
Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for me. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. See, how about David? He just keeps going on. Do you see this with David's life? There's just this God word point to it. So at Nob, he gets, he gets this provision of the consecrated bread, and he gets protection with Goliath's sword. At Gath, he gets even more protection with God stepping in and rescuing him out of that mess. And now he gets to Adullam, and at Adullam, he gets perspective. So he, through Psalm 142, he gets perspective. He cries out to the Lord, and God just helps lift his eyes up and sets his circumstances under sovereignty. He says, you know what, Dave? I want you to start seeing this thing the way I'm seeing it. And this is the amazing thing about David's inward compass. It just keeps pointing north. It's a Godward bent. Even when he's running, even when he's hiding, even when he's lying, he's going back to the Lord. And while he's in that cave, and while he's praying, and he's trying to sort all this out, watch what happens. Back to 1 Samuel 22. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. So somehow word gets to his family, David's in the cave of Adullam. Verse 2, all those who were in, circle this, distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Well, that's super helpful. How about that? Distress, in debt, discontented gather around him. And he became their leader about 400 men were with him. Isn't that real life? When you're going through it, have you noticed you also can become a magnet for others who are going through it? And that's David here. I mean, David's going through it now, and he's, he's all caught up. And then David's surrounded by what doesn't look like a super encouraging group. It looks like a group that's going to have a handful to lead. And you say, God, what are you doing in that space? I suspect a couple of things, right? So those of you going through it, do you know one of the greatest gifts you have when you're going through, when you're going through tough stuff, when you're working through your own share of valleys and sufferings and hardship, you know you have a ton to offer others who are going through that. And when you're going through it, how much you respect and appreciate someone who's in the trenches with you, I suspect there's some of that. Like God knows this group of 400, David's going to have some significant things to offer because he's in his own valley. And I think the second and probably deeper part here for David is God is preparing David for what role? So the time frame here, David was anointed king, they think, around 17 years, or 17. That's when he was invited to the party. So you say he's seven older brothers. So he's around 17. He doesn't take the throne until he's 30. So we've got 13 years of preparation that God's working with him in. So here's what God's doing. God's like, you know what? I, David's going to eventually be leading this nation and he's going to have to handle a lot of the things right here in this verse. He's going to have to handle situations where people are in distress, in debt, and discontented. If you're going to lead anything, you're always going to be dealing with that. And so David is being prepared, I think, by God to say, all right, David, if you can work with this 400 and get some good things going out of this, that's great training ground for what's to come in the future. And I think there's part of that going on. And probably some good insight for us. Maybe some of you here this morning in your own personal cave of Adullam, you feel exactly what David feels there in that cave. You're 
you're alone, you wonder if God's abandoned you, you've been on the run, the circumstances of your life continue to go more unraveling after more unraveling. It's cold, it's quiet, it's dark. You go Psalm 142, God lifts your eyes up a little bit and you say, you're not alone, God is there with you in it. And then he says, look around you and you're surrounded by some people to lead. And sometimes the very people that are nearest in our life, we don't see as an immediate gift, but maybe it is a gift from God to prepare you for what is next in your own leadership and journey. And for David right now, he's kind of getting a PhD in that. He's like, going to train you in this whole role of leading, leading a challenging group of 400. Let's see if we can get some good things accomplished. And pretty good word, I think, for us on our own personal adulums, that it could be a time of preparation. It may not be 13 years. It may be. But God preparing you for what is to come. And he's giving you some perspective here through Psalm 142. And then he's also giving you the gift of community, sacred friends, fellow strugglers. You're not alone in the journey. And this is probably a good point in the story where we should read Eugene Peterson's comments about this life of David. I put the lengthier quote so you can have it in your hands as well, but follow this from Peterson here. This is perhaps the place to note that the story of David isn't set before us as a moral model to copy. Okay, stay with me here. This is important. David isn't a person whose actions weren't in, were inspired to imitate. In the company of David, we don't feel inadequate because we know we could never do it that well. Just the opposite. In the company of David, we find someone who does it as badly as or worse than we do, but who in the process, stay this, follow this here, who in the process doesn't quit, doesn't withdraw from God. David's isn't an ideal life, but an actual life. We imaginatively enter the company of David not to improve our morals, but to deepen our sense of human reality. This is what happens in the grand enterprise of being human. I could have said any better than Peterson said it there. David's life set before us not as an ideal life, but as a real and actual life. So David's on the run, and he runs to Nob, and what does he find in Nob? He finds provision, the consecrated bread, and he provides protection, the sword of Goliath. And then he runs off to Gath, and what does he find in Gath? He finds not the environment he thought he was going to have, and so he continues to lie. God steps in and provides more protection and ends up in the cave of Adullam. What does he find in the cave of Adullam? Perspective, Psalm 142, and community, others around him who he realizes, I'm not so alone. And so, church, this is where that space in our lives, do you see, wherever David went, very ordinary places, by the way, a cave, a city, Nob, a sanctuary, wherever he went, the physical place he went, God stepped in and met him there, and this is where he can take very ordinary space, and when eternity touches time, he places it in a sanctuary. And what happens in a sanctuary? In a sanctuary, we find this. We find what David found when he was running. In a sanctuary, we find provision. Like when you come this morning, every seven days we gather here. We gather here, right, and have our hearts enlarged by the worship of God, have our hearts challenged by the Word of God and, 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 and touched by the presence of God and enlightened by the people of God, encouraged by the people of God. This is what we do in the sanctuary. 
We get together every seven days. It doesn't matter what kind of week you had. It doesn't matter what you've strayed into. It doesn't matter what's worked into your habits, good or bad. It doesn't whether you're super embarrassed about the kind of things you've done or you're encouraged about what you've been done or you're embarrassed about what you said or encouraged about what you said. It doesn't matter the kind of week we had. We find our way to the sanctuary. And in this sanctuary, God takes an ordinary gymnasium and he touches it and turns it into this kind of a space. And he says, hey, this is what can happen here. The same thing that David found when he went to Nob and he went to Gath and he went to the Dulum, we can find right here. We can find provision today, church. Living bread. You need some living bread today? Nourishment for the journey ahead. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Living bread for the soul. We'll need that sustenance sustained for the week ahead. That's what happens when you come to the sanctuary. Provision and protection. We'll need this sense of, right, the great thing about the sword, it's a great image, right, protection. A living word like sword of the spirit for the battle ahead. All of us are in the midst of some great battle. What are the weapons God's equipping you to fight with? You know when you make your way to the sanctuary, God just sharpens your sword a little bit for the battle ahead. He just helps you out. He gives you provision. He gives you protection. And then he also gives us perspective, right? When we gather together, we open up the word, we sing the songs, we pray the prayers. In a moment, we're going to gather at the communion table. What happens? We lift our eyes up. We get a little more perspective. We kind of see things the way Psalm 142. And then while we're doing that, we look around and we make our way to the sanctuary and you realize we're not alone. We're not alone. This is an us thing. Everybody's going through something, and no matter what we've gone through, where we're at, and where we're going, we make our way to the sanctuary, and we find provision and protection and perspective and community. There are other sacred friends, fellow strugglers, fellow travelers on this journey. So worship team, come back up here. We're going to transition now to the table under this banner. So our communion tables are set up here on the sides. If you've never taken communion with us here at Eagle before, uh, it's an open communion table. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to be a regular attender here. But the scriptures are clear. It's a good time for you to examine where's your heart at with Jesus. And so the table is set for those who've made a decision to give their hearts to Jesus, to live their lives for Christ. And you can examine where your heart's at in that space. And this may be, if you've never done that before, you can pray right where you're at in your blue chair and you say, Jesus, save me, I want to live for you. And you can walk over the tables and take communion for the first time. That's the communion table set for all of you. And in just a moment, the way we do it around here is we get up and we physically move to the tables and we gather around them and we tear off a piece of bread or for you gluten-free folks, there's a tray of crackers in the center and then we dip it in the juice in the center and then you'll see people spread out all around the room. And that's a picture of the community and the sacred friends and the fellow, it may be family members, it could be life group folks, it could be tables that from Alpha or EHS or the men's or women's, whatever the relationship connections, or maybe you want to be all alone for what God's doing in your, that's fine. That's what we do around here. And then these benches here at the front, this is a space for you to come if you'd like prayer. Because we believe that God still heals today. And when we come to the table, one of the provisions of God is that if you've come and you need God to touch your life physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we will anoint you with oil and we'll ask Jesus to touch you because we believe Jesus still does that today. And so there'll be elders and myself will be available here at the front to pray with you. You just come and sit at these prayer benches and we'll get someone to you to pray with you. And this is just going to be an open time. The worship team will be leading us through some songs. We're just going to kind of create some space. And here's the posture I want to invite you to the table. 
all of us have made our way into the sanctuary this Memorial Day weekend under this banner. We have a wide spectrum of what's all brought us here. We're like David. We're a mixed bag of all kinds of things. There's some things we're really encouraged about that's going on in our life and maybe decisions. And then there's some things we're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What am I going to do about that? We're a mixed bag. All of us, every week, we're all going through something. We're all in our own personal nob or glath, gath or adulam journeys. And here's what we do. This table Jesus has set for you and for me. His broken body, his shed blood. This space is set for you to come. And when you tear off that bread, which represents his broken body, and you dip it into that juice, here's what you want to, I want you to hear. Hey, I offer living bread to you. This can be sustenance for you, strength to sustain you. I offer you protection, right? I'll give you sword, sharpen the sword for the battle ahead. Maybe perspective, come to the table and say, Jesus, I just need you to help me see what you're seeing. I'm like David in a doulum and I just can't see. Or as you'll see in a moment, when you're at the table, there's a whole lot of other hands at the table too. Yeah, you're not alone. So provision, protection, perspective, community, the table set for you and for me. And you come just as you are, and Jesus meets us just as we are. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this invitation to the table. Thank you that we can go and bring our current, not so put together, always working through something selves. We can come to the table just as we are. I pray you meet us with living bread and sharpen our swords for the battle ahead. Open our eyes with your perspective and surround us with the kind of community that will sustain us through the journey ahead. We do this as an act of remembrance, an act of worship, remembering your great sacrifice. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.